Skeleton Crew 2020 Halloween Special. <laughs> Welcome to the final stop in the Skeleton Crew's 2020 Halloween special. We are ending things off with, to me, the iconic classic House from 1986. This is a comedy horror starring William Catt as Roger Cobb, George Went as Harold Gordon, Richard Maul as Big Ben, Kay Lenz as Sandy Sinclair and other people. It's produced by basically all of the Friday the 13th alumni. You have Steve Miner as the director. Uh, well, the writer is Fred Decker and Ethan Wiley, but um, like Cunningham is in on this, Manfredini did the music. The Black Cop is, I believe, the guy who goes on to play, uh, that's Steve Williams, he goes on to play Duke, right? Duke, Creighton Duke or something? In uh, Jason Goes to Hell, yeah. Wow, I, I I'm I'm flabbergasted. Wow, okay. The other cop who was there when uh, remember when Jimmy ran away or I mean he whatever he was taken and then the cops were like questioning everybody and the the aunt was annoying the mom. She's like, it was the house, Roger, and she's like, will you shut up, you old bat? <laughs> Mr. Cobb, we've got an APB out on your son. We'll let you know as soon as we have some. It was the house. It was the house that did it. Right, Mrs. Hoover. We understand. Um, that cop is the guy who was talking to Alice at the end of Friday the 13th Part 1, where he was like, we didn't find any boys. Jason? Boy. <laughs> mm-hmm. Jason? That's him. I know. It's crazy. And he, so we played a cop twice in his movies. <laughs> this is a house. Where no one should live. No one lived here before you was nuts. Wouldn't be surprised if someone just got fed up in Austria. She was my aunt. Heart of gold, though. Roger Cobb has come here alone. Daddy? <laughs> but no one is ever alone. This house knows everything about you. Leave while you can. No! It has been waiting for him. Hi. Sandy. So 
so this movie is really important to me. It's why I wanted it to be the big grand finale of the Skeleton Crew's 2020 Halloween special because I can maybe say that this is the movie that got me into horror. The earliest memory I have of liking a horror movie, it had to be this one. I was in grade school, third, fourth, or fifth grade. Me and my buddy, Jeffrey LaBeouf, we used to be, like, obsessed with this movie. I don't know how we owned it or whatever on tape, but we watched it tons. We were quoting it at, you know, eight, nine years old, ten years old. Like we, it was like, uh, oh, yeah, you'll never find him because he's dead. Like, we used to say that all the time and, like, joke around about it. And it was just like, like, when you first fall in love with things at ages like that, it's it's larger than life. And this had everything, you know, like you always hear about haunted house movies and they're usually disappointing. You know, James Wan maybe had more success than a lot of other people, but uh, usually they're like something to be desired. Like even like uh, or the house on Haunted Hill of Vincent Price, you know, they had scares. They had that lady with her arms stiff and she just glided across the floor. And, you know, the girl was hung, but not really. And a chandelier fell and all that kind of stuff. But. There always seems to be something lacking. Or you just hear like, ooh, and and the house and doors close. But this movie really had everything. Everything you could want out of a haunted house movie. Like, And one of the aspects and elements that that makes this amazing are the narratives that are playing throughout the whole thing. Like, it has everything. Creatures, ghosts, the house is scary looking. You have a, a tie right away with his aunt and she hung herself in there and on night number one she's a ghost in there and elizabeth it won roger it tricked me i didn't think it could but it did what going to trick you too roger this house knows everything about you Leave while you can. No! And he sees her, like, reenacting it. And it's just, like, crazy. This whole thing where his son disappeared in that house. Then you have this whole Vietnam thing where he's, like, haunted by the guilt of not killing Ben after he was shot up by the Vietnamese. You know, what do you do? Do You, you can't drag a six-foot-six guy. God knows what he weighs. You're, you could probably get killed trying to do that. You go for help, which is not a good idea, or you just have to do that thing where they ask you to kill him, and you kill him, you know, otherwise it can get a lot worse. I mean, and he, I guess, did the coward move or something, I don't know, and he was haunted forever, and then the the disappearance of his son led to his separation, I don't know if they were divorced. There's just so much going on, and then you add the element of the neighbor, and it's like, well, yeah, sure you do, because... This guy comes here, this crazy shit's going to happen, and there's no perspective if you don't have a neighbor. You need someone to to view this. You need someone to be that person who's who's grounding the movie back down to reality and being like, wait a minute, what's going on? What is this guy doing? Like, ghosts. You know, things like that. There's so many elements to this. And the music is perfection for this movie that the tone the cello in the beginning that like that deep 
music from the cello in the beginning that sets the it almost is the music for the house itself and then it changes to what we're all more familiar with with the Friday instruments he uses and none of them are really all that derivative of the Friday movies they're still when I hear this and I'm in love with this soundtrack I have the CD I have the vinyl everything and and I, and I have an autograph CD of Manfredini for this movie and uh, it's right here by my mic every time I record so like I'm way into this music and it, it's not really it doesn't sound like Friday music it does because it's him and it's the same instruments but it really doesn't retread on the same footnotes or whatever so uh, that's sort of my uh, story, I suppose. Um, and then I guess you could say I, I bought the tape when I was, you know, in my 20s. And I was like, oh, yeah, I used to love this movie. And every single viewing, nothing has ever changed for me. I only like it more and more. And when I watch the Ding Dong, You're Dead documentary that's on the new Arrow Blu-ray, I like it even more. So, uh, Jamie, what is your history with this movie? My first... I guess experience with this movie was seeing the poster in the newspaper. You know how you back when there was a time kids when everyone would read the newspaper and my dad got the newspaper every day and I would always check the movie section because that was that and the comics were the only things I cared about when I was a kid. And I, I would rush to the movie section and I would see what was playing and the house poster that would be pictured in the movie section always, always, always drew my attention because you've got that rotting hand reaching for the doorbell, you know. And you used to see the trailers and it would feature that too. And I'm just like, oh, like I just, I wanted to see it so bad. I was so excited to see this movie. And then I saw it and I was so sad because it wasn't scary at all I was so upset I was like why is this not scary the poster is so scary so I guess that's actually the first time that I felt that a movie poster lied to me um, but I did I, you know it was funny I just at the time when I initially saw it I was really sad because I had wanted it to be scary instead of fun yeah and so I was like meh and back then, I didn't like it at all. Like, I just, I didn't, I was like, I don't want funny, you know. So, years later, I watched it again. And now, knowing what to expect, I liked it more. You know, and there are sequences that I really, really, really love. Like, I, I love the whole, the first time he meets George Went, And he's just, like, he's talking about the ant. He's pretty, eh? Hi. Howdy, neighbor. Just move in? Yeah, last night. Harold Gorton. Hi, Roger. Roger. Well, hey, it's great to have a new neighbor. Woman lived here before you was nuts. Biggest bitch under the sun. Just a senile old hag, really. Wouldn't be surprised if someone just got fed up and off her, you know what I mean? She was my aunt. Heart of gold, though. Just a, a saint, really. And uh, such a beautiful woman for her age. Yeah. Would you like some dinner? You and the whole family, just come on over or I'll whip something up, you know? Afraid I'm alone. You're alone? Well, that's better yet, you know, because uh, just get some burgers, watch the game. You're an A's fan, right? Uh, yeah, uh, sort of. I'm a writer. I'm up here just kind of trying to get away from things for a while, you know, uh, solitude. You know? Solitude? <laughs> um, I love when the the ex-wife monster 
is like stomping around and oh my god the song that they play over and over and over again feeling better now that we're through it so much so anytime that song kicks in i get all excited because i love that song and i think it's really fun and there are like once i got over my initial shock of it not being really scary i did notice that there are some there are some scary moments you know um the first time you see bull you know that's some damn good makeup that is amazing makeup and uh and that whole thing is kind of frightening and i grew to I grew to really enjoy the parts. I especially like the parts with George Went. Like he's my favorite part of the movie. Um, but and I like William Cat too. I was a big fan of Greatest American Hero when I was a kid. I have that show on DVD. I love it. I've always loved William Cat. I loved him in Carrie. I loved him in the Piranha remake. Uh, I I just the one for TV that was in like the '90s or whatever. I I just I really like that guy. So he's a plus. The um the aunt, she has like a real creepy vibe about her, you know. So I have actually, it has actually grown on me quite a bit. I still don't love it. Like, I don't love it like you do, but I have, my appreciation for it has grown over the years. So I do, I'll say I really like it. I just am not in love with it. But, um... But yeah, I, I have grown to appreciate it. And it's one of those movies that I have never in my life said, oh, I can't wait to watch House. I've never said that. And I probably never will. Like, I hate to say that, but I probably will never be like, let's watch House. But whenever someone suggests it, and for whatever reason, I feel like I have watched it a lot in the past 10 or 12 years that I've been podcasting. It always seems to come up. Whenever someone suggests it, I don't get upset. You know, I'm not like, no. Like, oh, God, you I have know. to watch this. Yeah, so it doesn't, you know, I'm kind of right, like right in the middle there, little more toward love than hate, or actually a lot more toward love than hate, but it's just not one that's ever going to top my favorites list, but I think I'm just, I'm still a little heartbroken from <laughs> being that excited that child day. Yeah. that wanted to be scared so bad just based on that poster, and I'll never, I, I guess I was scarred, I'll never get over it. Scarred for life. Just like those uh, claw marks on his <laughs> chest and stomach. Wow. So I'm, I'm excited for Dave. I never really got a read on what he thinks. And he's one of those guys that his opinion really changes as he rewatches and, you know, and he discovers other things. And he's been dissecting movies now for years. So he, he always has like this new, fresh take on things. So. Dave, uh, what is your story with House, and what has it led you to today? I'll tell you, this is, you're not going to believe this, <laughs> but this, what Jamie said when she started her tale of, of you know, her affair with House, uh, I started the same way, the freaking newspaper. I, I can't <laughs> believe... Yay! It's because we're the same age. <laughs> isn't that something, though? Because... 
And here's what's cool about it. I, I can still picture it. And of course, yes. in the newspaper, it's black and white. Uh-huh. But for some, th- for some reason, I think because it was black and white, that actually made it creepier. Yeah. Oh, for sure. That and the Return of the Living Dead poster and Return of the Living Dead Part 2. for Oh, and Fright Night. Those all stick out in my memory as seeing him in the paper. <clears throat> wow. And it, it just it's like an indelible impression. I will always be. And I feel like that poster, I feel like the house poster was in the paper for months. Like I it just the way it's in my head, I feel like I must have seen it a hundred times. Well, yeah, me too, by the way. I mean, it's, I'm not going to say that. I mean, I don't know if I saw in the paper at, at whatever years. Probably not. You know, it was I'd be six. So, no. But being in the video store. And that being on the shelf, that cover, oh my god, I'm. It, it was the greatest thing. Like whatever I thought of it when I watch it, looking at that poster just reaffirmed all that, and it kept my love for it. So go ahead, Dave. So what you you saw that, and then what? I don't remember the first time I watched it, however, but I I, I have memories of seeing that in the paper, and you know, of course, wanting to see it, I just I didn't rush out to you know what i mean i guess i just waited for it to to drop on vhs you know i liked it a lot when i was young and then don't tell me you had the friday six syndrome in a way i it isn't the friday six syndrome i just even though i liked it when i was young i never had a uh a strong yearning to go back because when i thought about it in my memory Mm -hmm. it seemed like it was um kind of light in the horror compared to what else was coming out at the time, it being the heyday of horror and all that stuff for us. So didn't revisit it for a while. And then, funny enough, you were the one that made me want to check it out again, you know, in the early days. when Because I, I don't think – when did you first see it again? Um, Like when I got a job, like that – a lot of people ask me, why do you always say that you got into horror in 2000s and stuff? And right. honestly, the main reason is because that's when I started to make money. <laughs> and I was able to like, I was like, wow, now that I have money, I could like get all this stuff I'm into. So then I went to Suncoast Video Store and I was like, wow, Jason. Yeah, I like that. I remember those movies. Those are cool. And I just bought all the Jasons and I bought all the Michael Myers. And, you know, I just went through and I went to the big four first, you know, all the typical things that you're majorly exposed to as a kid. And then you start reads it. You see, look at other covers and you're like, Oh wow. Yeah, this looks good too. Wow. I bet this is good. I don't know if I had it through my teens. I don't recall. I, I might've bought it around like 15 years old, maybe even. So it was probably like a five year gap where I really didn't do anything with the movie. And then, then I got back into it. And then I think I really, I try to get it out there with um, Crystal Lake after dark message boards. So I'm, you might've been exposed to it by me that way. Okay, that's what I'm thinking. Um, so I, I think it was later on. Yeah, 2004 era, early yeah, early 2000s. So I think you were speaking about it uh, on the message board. And even if you weren't speaking about it there, then it would have been you discussing it on this podcast. But I know that you were the person, uh, and because uh, you know I, you've talked about it many times, and you said how much you were into it. And I was like, well, you know what? Let me go back and watch this movie. And the first time I went back and watched it, I loved it, and I wow. loved it so much that when we did Banana Laser, we did uh, we talked about our top three favorite uh, horror comedies, and it was my number three. I was really into it. I remember that. Yeah, I, I was really into it. And then the next time I watched it, 
funny enough, involved you. It was with you and Jamie. We did a commentary. Yes, we did. <laughs> and then I've wanted to watch it since, and I haven't. Got the Arrow set and watched it this time. And this is what I'll say about it. I still enjoy it. Uh, I think in many ways it, it Sam Raimi took some stuff from this because the, there's such an Evil Dead 2 vibe with things that are going on. It's like it's so strange. I'm like, wow, that this is actually influential and things like that. I don't think you hear about that. And the makeup effects are really cool. And I looked the guy up, and some of the stuff looked look so much like the stuff in Evil Dead 2. I thought it might have been the same guy, but it's not. But it's from a really good guy who did – actually, he did Slaughterhouse in, uh, around that same time, and he's done plenty of stuff. He's still working. But I really enjoyed it. My difficulty with it is – I wish it would have gone further in, in a few aspects. I, I have fun with it. I just think that there was more, and I would have enjoyed it a little more. I can't really say exactly what more, but uh, the Vietnam stuff, something about the way it looks kind of rubs me wrong. Hmm. Because it's a soundstage? Yeah, it has that look to it. It looks too too, too clean, I guess, or, or something. It just... Just those particular scenes, but when they flash back to Vietnam, I can almost picture this being in like Sean Cunningham's backyard, and and he put up some fake trees and some things like that. And I don't mean that as a knock on the film; it's just the vibe I get. But the crazy stuff that goes on, it, it's all a lot of fun. I just right. this last view wasn't my my best, but I, st I still yeah I still recommend it though. I I, I still enjoy it and. I definitely will watch it again. To me, it's one of those horror movies that it, that it's like a um, a Sunday afternoon horror movie. It'd be great on a Sunday afternoon. Well, I know Frankie's already been through the mill, but if you were if she was younger, this would be a great one to introduce her to horror with. You know, it's one of those weird movies where like a lot of crazy stuff goes on, but it's not it's not anything you maybe can't show your kid. So, like, it's better to show him this than you know, like. You know, uh, you, you could name any, like, Exorcist. You know, it's better, way better to introduce your kid to horror with this. And if he likes this, okay, we'll go from there. Maybe we'll even go a little more backwards and do Evan Costello meet Frankenstein. And then we'll go a little forwards and do, um, you know, Evil Dead 2 even. Because that's fun, you know. Just get him into the lighthearted stuff in the beginning. Um, yeah, every... Well, first I'll speak on the Vietnam thing. Yeah, there's always something lost when you don't get the night air. Or you don't get the true sunlight when you're having an outdoor scene. You know, that's why it probably rubs you the wrong way. An indoor-outdoor scene is just... You just cannot manufacture it. Um, I don't know why they always have to do this. I guess it's a. It's just so hard to shoot in, in the woods or whatever. I don't know. I think it's budgetary. So you got to cut them out and cut them some slack. I mean, if you're watching Vietnam movies and you're watching all those great ones that we've seen, or even watching like Predator and they're out in the woods and how, how that looks, you have to cut them slack because it's, it's budgetary. It but is. I still can't not notice it either, you know? Right, right, right. It was only $3 million budget. Um, yeah, the Vietnam stuff, some people will cite, well, I don't like the Vietnam stuff. That bores me. Now, that never bored me, even as a kid. Like, if you pay attention to everything and you don't let yourself zone out, nothing will bore you, and you'll see why it was all there and why it works. Those peppering of the Vietnam moments m culminate 
in Ben having his kid. I mean, you have to have... It's almost like saying Halloween's boring. And then you say, well, well, what scene would you want me to take out? What, Annie going back and forth for a key and this and that, or the girls driving around or walking around? How, if I took that out, you wouldn't care as much when they get killed. Or it wouldn't lead up to the babysitting, and you wouldn't. they would just randomly be together at the end of the night if they didn't talk about it. You know, like, there's certain things you just cannot talk, uh, you cannot cut out. So this movie, it's like right from the jump in the credit sequence, you get that tour around the house, which is amazing because the Manfredini score sets such an amazing tone. And it's interesting because, see, this movie, the dichotomy of the the horror and comedy are kind of crafted perfectly. Like, whether or not you like it or appreciate it, it's still done perfectly. And people who do can see that. And it's like... You get both these things, like, it truly is a haunting soundtrack, and yet you do have fun with this movie, and those parts are fun. So it starts off with the kid dropping off groceries, and you get the hanging ant in the bedroom. What a way to start a movie. Like, this kid just dropping off groceries, you get a creepy moment going upstairs, and an old woman hanging from a noose. Like, that is like, bam, now we're starting this movie, wow. You know, Roger Cobb is a, is a book, he writes books, and he wrote Blood Dance, but it was a couple years ago. He hasn't done anything since his kid was kidnapped. And he he has this Vietnam idea, and he's got to write this book, he says. It's because he has to get these things off his chest. He has to work his way mentally through the guilt he feels. The kid vanishing le- leading to the separation. Like, Roger is just basically lost since then. And his aunt dying and leaving the house to him works out perfectly because, you know, that's where the kid disappeared. And now he gets to really deep dive into the madness. Federal Bureau of Investigation. Hello, um, Agent Thatcher, please tell him it's Roger Cobb. Tell him it's urgent. I'm sorry, he's on another line. Can he call you I'll wait. Yes, Mr. Cobb. Uh, hear anything? No, afraid we don't have anything new about your son. But you call me. You know we will. Uh, by the way, I got a call from Decker at CIA. Please do me a favor. Leave him alone. Yeah. Thank you very much. You bet. We'll call you. Not only is he going to pester people on the phone about this, but now he gets to indulge. Now he's in the house and he gets his neuroses gets to go free. And as deep as it will go in this house. Now he has full access. Like, that is what is amazing about how it all plays out. And his aunt being a ghost in there is perfect. You know? Because she is subjected to this house, too. And she lived there. So, what do you guys think of, like, the flashback stuff of Jimmy disappearing? You know, he's, like, cutting the hedges and everything. And the kid's playing with the stuff. And then he's gone. He's in the pool splashing around. What do you think about that whole sequence? Okay, um, it's it's actually done well. It's kind of scary. Uh, <laughs> and I was wondering, what is the uh, what's the fascination with Cunningham and drowning boys? <laughs> wow! Right? That's a good question. Maybe he maybe he killed a boy, and this is like a confession. It's guilt. Terrible. Oh, you know? that's dark. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know. <laughs> Maybe it's some strange thing, but I thought about that. I go, this is Jason. What's going on here? You know, and it plays out well. 
and it's cool. I don't. It always it used to irk me. I was like, well, I don't get it. How can you just disappear and they're just ex- accepting of that? Or how do they explain that? Or like, how does that happen? It's crazy. Right. But that, but it's sad. Imagine you, you jump in a pool to save your kid, and you're like, the way he was like the the, the amazing shot of the underwater view of him, just like looking everywhere, like, well, where the hell is he? It was just here. And then you come up, and the way he was gasping for air, looking around in a panic, and he's not there. I mean, come on. That is brilliant. Like, the kid just is just gone. Then you have to explain to everybody, no, I'm telling you, he was in the pool. Oh, and he just disappeared. Yes. Sure, Mr. Cobb. You know? And then you know the guy was in Vietnam, and it's like, oh, God. I hate stories where, where people don't want to believe, or there's no way, rather, I'll say from the, from the, from the protagonist's point of view, when there's no way to prove your side of the story... And like everyone thinks you're either crazy or demented or whatever it that is the worst, most frightening thing if it were to happen to me. Like that's probably one of my biggest fears is that to be in a situation like that. And it always breaks me up, makes me sad whenever a situation like that breaks up a marriage. Mm. Yeah, it, it just uh, that just. Yeah. It just kills me, you know. It, I, it, the whole thing's very sad. I'm right. I agree with Dave, though. I think that particular sequence was actually pretty scary. That's one of the scarier moments I was talking about earlier when I said that there were some scary ones. I actually think that worked very well. I think it's very effective. So yeah, I also love the uh, Manfredini score. I mean, you had already talked about the score, um, but I really do love his score for this film. It's just enough to know who he is uh, if you. Um, but like I always pick up on a Manfredini score no matter what movie it is, whether it's the children uh from eighty or Friday the, or eighty one or Friday the thirteenth, um, obviously. But when you hear him in other do other movies, you can still hear it. And it, it's not like you're hearing the Friday the the thirteenth score. You're just hearing some you know, bits and pieces that are very Manfredini. Uh I like the score during that part. Oh yeah. Um kind of like Pino Dinaggio. His scores are different for all the movies that he does, but it's it, they all sound like him. Like yeah. Carpenter, so, too, Jerry Goldsmith. Oh, yeah. yeah Jerry Goldsmith yeah. is the same. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's like, it's, and that's why I love composers so much, too, because you can always pick out where they are. And I'll be, listen, I'll be watching a movie, and I'm like, <gasps> like, I'll perk up, and I'm like, is that Pino? You know, and then I'll go and look hmm. on IMDb, and I'm like, oh, my God. So I remember the first time I noticed that it was Manfredini in this movie. I was like, what? What? <laughs> Because I didn't know that going in. Yeah. It's almost like they're singers and that's their voice. You know? And just because they're singing a new song, it's like, oh, yeah, but that's, you know. It's, uh, it's like whoever. any artist. It's like, like you know, you can like look at like a, an artist, like a band that's been around for 20 years, and you could like pick something up and say, oh, that sounds like them during this era uh, of their existence. Like, like, for example, in here, this sounds like it, 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 it's very similar to the movies that were the last two movies he did, or three, really. really. You could say he, it was like Friday 4, 5, and 6. It has those beats. Now, here's what's great about this one. He does all that stuff, and you know it's him, and then he does some other more experimental stuff, which I really like, but he does it right, and he doesn't recycle. What, what he what he did the same year, um, although it wasn't recorded that year, so I guess it's unfair to say, but in 1986, uh, Slaughter High came out, and he did the soundtrack for that, the score, I should say, for, for Slaughter High. And when you listen 
as much as I enjoy Slaughter High for what it is, it, it sounds like very recycled Friday the 13th stuff in the movie. Like, like almost like aping his shit. You, you reviewed that on Exploding Heads, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, I remember hearing that review, then going and watching it, because you got me all pumped to watch it again. And because I think you said that, all I noticed is that it sounded like Recycled Friday the 13th. I was like, wow, he's right. I never even thought about that. It's unfortunate, but here, it does not. You could tell it's him, and it has similar beats and things, but he worked hard on this one. He did things, you know? And you appreciate it. It was all original. Mm-hmm. I- and, and and you know what you said any artist and i think that goes for any medium so like look at painters you know you can tell a picasso you can tell a matisse you know it's um it's they have their own style they have their own signature mm-hmm. and uh, people tell me you can you could tell it's an alex edwards production <laughs> just kidding oh, how about that? i could well the good ones at least because i'm on it that's how they know <laughs> <laughs> So what do you got? Let's talk about the house itself. This is a haunted house. The house is pretty important. You know, again, House on Haunted Hill, not to jab at that movie. I love it. Love Vincent Price. But it was just some kind of really, really big, weird square building or something, I remember, in the beginning. And um, didn't do nothing for me in that respect. So I love the aesthetics of this house. I love every inch of the interior. This is perfection. What do you guys think? Or do not see that. See, because I lived through this house for 30 years. So I'm saying this with that perspective. I know every inch of that house. Maybe to somebody who is not obsessed, they don't see it that way. So what do you think? I don't see it that way, but I do, I'm not disagreeing with you. I just didn't put a lot of thought into it. When I think of the house, I think of certain rooms and certain things that happen. I think about the bathroom and the mirror scene and stuff like that. And I think about the chandelier and the hanging, what goes on in that room. We get a lot in that room. And don't forget the hallway shot where the wife was putting those two doors, the big round table when you first walk in. Um, Don't forget the upstairs hallway is shown a lot. Um, You could could include when the house was hanging over the friggin' the cliff like how awesome is that you know like there's no way that is really what's happening here that that's another like fascinating choice to do in this movie like nobody expected that it looks like a house in a neighborhood which it is but yet when you're in this climax with against big ben roger's hanging over like the edge of something he's holding onto the floor of some kind of the house and there's a, a cliff and how many feet down is the ocean like Amazing. They could have just done nothing. You know, like, you really have to sometimes think about appreciating certain things. Because sometimes you could just take it for, oh, well, that's what it was. But no, like, somebody chose these things. And and that adds so much to it. Imagine if I just went and shot a movie. You know, none of this stuff would be there. You know, like, those are great choices. And somebody worked to make those things happen and add so many layers and that's the kind of stuff I appreciate. So, yeah, night one, he sees the ghost of his aunt hanging herself again. She's giving him, a, you know, this house. It'll trick you just like it tricked me. And Elizabeth. It won, Roger. It tricked me. I didn't think it could, but it did. What? It's going to trick you too, Roger. This house knows everything about you. 
Leave while you can. No. Uh, great stuff. Um, the neighbor Harold, uh, like I said, a great addition to the film. It adds that realistic element. On night two, we get the monster in the closet. Uh, they call it the war monster, I believe. It only showed up at midnight, so he like thinks he heard something. He 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 goes upstairs. He opens the door. Nothing's in it. Then he closes it. Then the 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 clock you know strikes twelve. And for some reason, he he turns around because he doesn't know this whole twelve o'clock thing yet. If you remember, he noticed it in the paintings, and then that's how he put it together that it, it would do that again, um, like like clockwork. What do you think of that monster? I mean, that is amazing eighties, you know, real, no CGI. People worked on that. Supposedly, it was like a twenty-seven hour day at one point for that monster to get to that point and it was only shown on screen for seconds just imagine even if somebody spent 12 hours on something that was a 27 hour straight day of no breaks and you got what you got and you see like faces within it it had a bunch of claws different kinds of arms what like the arms were made of like guns and bullets and weird like everything was it was a manifest of the Vietnam stuff haunting him and all that other kind of, like that house, you know, she said the house knows who you, it knows everything about you. And that monster is a manifestation of that. What did you think of that monster? Cause that's pretty much the, the big monster except for the witch and the whole sequence of him going to the door and trying to find pictures, you know, like again, it, the movie grounds itself. It keeps bringing you back to reality. Like, in a haunted house, like you're, you ever like watch a movie and you're like, why are these people not calling the police, or why are they still here? What are they doing? You know. Okay, as far as the police go, what would you say? Like, what can you say to? Oh a no, cop? not in this movie. Okay. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. You wouldn't do that. There's some big monster in a purple dress. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, you don't call the police here. Like I'm saying in, in some other movie, but like in this one, right? You say, well. What would you do at this point? Well, he does a very logical thing. Well, shit, I just saw... I need pictures of this because I got to know I'm not crazy. I got to prove this if it's true. A lot has to happen here. So what did you guys think about that Like that whole... I honestly think that everything he did was pretty logical. And apart from the whole get out of the house thing, which, you know, if they were to do that, then it wouldn't seem... It wouldn't... You would have no movie. Uh, so you kind of right. can't have the people just get out of the house unless you're James Wan and it's insidious because that was brilliant. Um, <laughs> the first thing they did was leave the house and then it followed them to the second house. But I love the fact that he didn't have them mess around. They were like, yep, we're out of here. Right. Uh, but typically you can't do that or you don't have, uh, you know, if it's the whatever is based around the house, then you don't have a movie. But I think everything he did made sense. Like, I know that Norm... <laughs> norm um he's always uh, harold <laughs> thank you yeah he's always norm um i know that harold thought he was kind of nuts and, and maybe from the outside it looks nuts but when you're watching him do the things he's doing it makes perfect sense he's doing what's logical especially like the photographs and everything you know it's like what do you do if you've got to prove something you take a picture like even now we do that now and if somebody had, was in this situation with a cell phone they'd be like filming it Mm-hmm. You know, so I think everything he did was perfectly normal and expected. Right. All the things I would do, except I would probably have gotten out. 
but yeah. And how about the scene where he's like practicing escaping the house and he runs down the stairs and like skids on his knees and the guy's just standing there, <laughs> Harold. He's like, what you doing, Raj? Like, uh, he always walks in. He's like your parents walking in when you just get to the sex scene in a movie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. I would be like, why are you walking your dog on my lawn, bro? Because <laughs> back then, we didn't have the whole curb your dog thing. So he brought his dog to take a piss on Roger's lawn or whatever and then say, okay, we're done. Let's go back to our house. Yeah, like that is just part of the the humor. And I think, yeah, I know you can always go super dark with something, but it's almost as if the humor in this movie makes it more real. Like, what he has to go through and the things he has to do to get through the, all these events, they're kind of real answers to them all, and that is what makes it humorous. So, um, what's all this cameras for upstairs? Do you believe in ghosts? Well, what kind of ghosts? My aunt thought this house was haunted. No offense, Roger, but your aunt was Looney Tunes. What about me? You think that I'm Looney Tunes? Not at all. I mean, you've been to Vietnam, lost your only child, your wife divorced you. I mean, you've got a few marbles rolling around, but right now you seem fine. I think this house is haunted. Well, you know, I find that you know, unexplained psychic stuff kind of interesting myself, but problem is uh, they usually go ahead and find some explanation anyway for the unexplained stuff, you know? In the closet upstairs, I saw something. This is other than coach and hat, etc. No, 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 I saw a, a, a ghost, something. I, I opened the closet door and it reached out and it tried to grab me. This is sounding a, a little bit like some of your novels. You sure you're just not imagining this? Does this look like imagination? It's a very nasty scratch. Thank you to have someone look at that. I opened the closet door, and it reached out, and it tried to grab me. Like, you know, the witch, like, the whole thing about, well, I guess we'll get to that when we get to it, but, like, even his approach to her and how that became comical was also realistic, and it's really all you can do. What else would you do with a a 350-pound witch's body, you know? <laughs> yeah, what else, you know? So, it's like, uh, night three, I think this part loses a lot of people, and maybe, probably, definitely Jamie. Uh, <laughs> the fish on the wall attack. <laughs> oh, <laughs> love oh it. my god. Love oh, no. No, it's, it's a little, it's a little too goofy for me. But see, I also don't like stuff, like, in Evil Dead 2. I don't like Evil Dead 2, because I can't stand the whole deer laughing thing, and the, and the... <laughs> I just, uh, that stuff annoys me because it's goofy, you know, and I don't really care for goofy that much. So, I mean, humor I'm fine with, but like goofy humor, not so much. So, yeah, you're right. You're, you you nailed it when you said that it didn't, right. it didn't work for now, you. Now, Dave said he loves it. Why is this? Yeah, that's so weird because Jamie, that's echoing what I always say. I like humor. I don't like goofy. And... I say it all the time, and it's true. But for some reason, in the context of this film, just for that, it, it, for some reason, anything dead like that coming to life, it, it just makes me chuckle. And it, it doesn't 
it doesn't seem like to me some of the look of the other things are more goofy like the big fat one that you were talking about to me that seems a little goofier just because of her appearance than than that big swordfish that swordfish for me just i don't know i guess it's just my kind of humor i, I just get a chuckle out of something <laughs> like that and what does it remind me of okay look at it this way what about in like Return of the Living Dead? That always makes me laugh when those dog, those split dogs come to life and start barking. It's the same type of humor to me. It just, it, it works. Uh, it's exactly that humor. You know, I just and, and what's funny about that scene is, and again, this is my humor. Not just what happens, but as as it's happening, he says, "Just stop moving for Christ's sakes." He says, "Yeah," because every time he goes to bash it on the head, it moves. Yeah. <laughs> no. There are positive aspects. I do understand the goofiness and it's a little hokey, but um, what's what's cool about it is how he's just – when you're looking at something that's still and dead for years and then all of a sudden you notice a movement, there's almost nothing scarier or creepier. And like especially if you're looking at a painting and you feel like the eyes moved or something crazy like that. You know, like something like that is is what this is, you know – and when you see the eye, and it sort of like has a a wetness to it now, like a life to it again, and it, it kind of moves, and then he just like looks at it again and gets close, like what the hell? Then all of a sudden it just says "fuck it," he's on to me, and it just starts going. Aah! And what's funny about the whole idea is that what is the point of this? Because what could that fish do? What harm is really going to come of this? Nothing, right? So it's only going to be beating itself against the wall, knocking the pictures off the wall, and he just wants to club it over the head to stop it. doesn't work. He runs into the shed to get a gun to blow it a, a hole through it. And as he does this, we're introduced to a whole nother thing going on here where the tools in his shed come to life and they're haunted and they go after him and you get a great sequence where he slams the door and they all bust through the door as if they were trying to get through and they got stuck in the door and to make that happen you got a picture like there's guys on the other side of that door there's like probably like three guys and they all have two two tools in their hands and they all have to go you know all in unison almost and it's just like such a great effect. Then when he's done blowing the hole through the the fish, he goes upstairs to like like just gather himself. And then all of a sudden he hears like a knocking on the bathroom door, and he opens the door, and the tools are there. <laughs> so like, what do you guys think of that? Because like, this is haunted Actually, house. I think stuff. that part's funny. I think that the tools part, like waiting outside the door, uh, mm -hmm. that part is funny to me. Yeah, me too. I like it. It's a great tone. It's a great comedy horror tone to it. Um, then we get to probably the most amazing sequence. You know, Harold calls his, calls his uh, separated or estranged wife, whatever you want to say. This is going to sound a little strange, but I thought I should call you because I don't think Roger's got his act together. What do you mean? Uh, he's having flashbacks or something. Seeing strange things. Ghosts and stuff. I, oh, my God. Yeah, I think you uh, ought to come up here and check the guy out. I can't. I've got to be on the set at 6.30 tomorrow morning. I really can't. Um, I'll call him right away. Well, all right. Um, go ahead and call him, and uh, I'll just uh, keep an eye on him up here for you, okay? With that knowledge that we know, 
the wife shows up. Hi. Sandy. I tried to call, but there was no answer. I was worried about you, Roger. What are you doing here? I wanted to see you. What are you doing with that gun? Nothing. I'm... Then he drops the one of the bullet shells that he was using to, to shoot this fish earlier, I guess. And then she, when it drops on the floor in front of her, she, like, goes to get it and she, like, looks at him. Like, she gives him this look, like, she's very uncomfortable and unhappy with what's happening here. So it adds such a realism, like, oh, man, she has an opinion on this, too. Like, now she thinks, you know. So you're you're totally sucked into what, how is she going to react when she gets back up with this bullet. And all of a sudden... Sandy. Bam! This fucking disgusting, hideous, fat, purple witch is there. This gross gray hair. She's like, yeah, And then attack, and the music that hits on the cue. Wow. And then, you know, like, imagine that happening. Like, that's Roger. Like, you don't know what to do. So, Roger made a pretty big decision at that moment to blow the witch away with the gun. And it's like... You don't know if it's your wife or a witch or what, or are you believing your own eyes? Like, do you believe your own eyes? Like, to make a decision that quick. And what is the be- the beauty of it is, as that's processing, he looks down, and it is the wife. You're like, fuck. You gotta be kidding me. So then you're like, well, was he seeing things? And like, a million things. It's just the way this plays, and the way... It processes in your mind. And if you're in his shoes, it's fascinating. And then the very next thing you hear are sirens. And he has to say, what the fuck do I do now? My wife is dead on the... And like, you know, you want to do the right thing. But at the same time, you can't right now. You just got to stop everything that's happening and gather your thoughts. And just, just hide her right now. Just hide her and let's get through this and then we'll figure shit out. And then you get to this tense scene of the cops inside, and then this door opening and all that. So what did you think of that entire, like, sequence? I really dug it. It's You really feel for the character. You know what I mean? Everything that he's going through, and just his son, his wife, and being here, and all this crazy stuff happening at the, at the same time, and him having to, to deal with all this at once. And, you know, when that goes down, it's just, you know... I just feel for the poor guy, the poor bastard, you know? Even him pretending to clean his gun when the cops got there. It's like, well, what else do I do? I have to explain this thing going off. Oh, God, that has me so nervous every time. Oh. Like, it it does. This is, during this part you just talked about, this is where I'm kind of going back and forth. I'm like, you know, "Eh, too goofy. Oh, that's funny. Oh, too I mean, I'm just kind of all over the place. But then when the cops show up, I'm just like, oh, God. Like, I hate. I hate when people are put in a situation where they might get in trouble um, because you care about him, you know? So I care about him and I don't want him to get in trouble. And I'm just like, Oh God, Oh God. And then part of me is like, Oh, don't do that. Oh, don't go over there. Oh, good. (laughs) Um, But uh, some of the things they did, you know, were really smart. I mean, it worked. Yeah. Ultimately. So ultimately it got him out of trouble. So I guess that's fine. But I'm every time, that sequence has me on pins and needles. I'm just, oh, yeah. please, 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 please. It's really well done. The tension in that is really well done. 
And it it makes you really be in his shoes, like when the cops like We have a report. Someone at this address has been firing a shotgun. Oh yeah, I was uh, just polishing it, you know, cleaning it, and it went off by accident. I, I didn't know it was loaded. But you do know it's against the law to discharge a firearm within city limits, don't you? I'm gonna have to give you a citation. A citation. Thank you. Hey, wait a minute. Uh, I know you, don't I? You're Roger Cobb, right? Yeah, right. I'm sorry about your son. Mr. Cobb, I know this is a funny question, but you wouldn't happen to be the same Roger Cobb who wrote Blood Dance, would you? Yeah. That's me. Why didn't you say so earlier? <laughs> just... Mr. Cobb, um, I was wondering if you'd do me a big favor. Oh, sure. I mean, I know you're probably busy and all, but... Uh, no, no, you have a... Could I use your bathroom? No. I mean, uh, yes, you can. Be my guest. Um, I'll, uh... You men, go ahead and take off. We got under control here. Who are you? Harold, next to our neighbor. Yeah, right, beat it. And I was the one... Goodbye, Harold. They're like, hey, is your bathroom? It's like, uh, yeah, sure. Uh, and then, you know, he just looks down the hallway. Okay, the door is closed. Good. So the cop goes over and the door opens. And then he runs there. And the cop seems like he's going to go into the doors that he hit his wife. And he, like, stands in front of him. He's like, the bathroom is this way. And, like, that whole thing, it just, like you said, it has you on pins and needles. And the neighbor makes it a zillion times worse He, because then he's he has to stall and distract them from what they're there for and to forget about this gun thing that just went down. So he's like, hey, you guys could probably go for a cup of coffee, right? And then the neighbor comes in. Yeah, coffee sounds great. And the way he looks at Harold, like he wants to murder him, and the cop goes, yeah, coffee does sound good. So then they're all in there, and then the bullets are on the floor, and this asshole neighbor says, no, no, I got it. And he picks him up and puts him on the table in front of the cop. Uh... I got it. Hang on. 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 Well, I wouldn't recommend cleaning a loaded gun. Oh, no, 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 no. Uh, neither would I. Like, do you not want to kill Harold at this point? <laughs> totally. Uh, yeah? God. <laughs> it, but the best line comes of it when the cop goes, he goes, no sense in owning a gun if you don't load it at one time or another, right? And he goes, well, I wouldn't recommend cleaning a loaded gun. And he goes, oh, no, no, me neither. <laughs> I wouldn't recommend cleaning a loaded gun. <laughs> Something about that just, like, cracks me up. I don't know. Oh, yeah, no, me neither. I mean, I'd never do that. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I usually, un, you know, take the bullets out. And then he goes back to get the wife. Now, remember, his wife. And she's gone. He goes upstairs to that closet again. And the fucking witch is back in form. And she cracks him over the head with the butt of the gun. And they have this battle. 
She's mocking him, knowing that he's there looking for his kid. So the tools come in and cut the witch's head off. <laughs> What'd you think of that? I that that was convenient, but uh, lucky for him. <laughs> yeah, what are the odds? And if if the house is working in unison to like fuck with this guy, why? Yeah, they, it kind of sucks. <laughs> it sucks at it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So now you think the hard part is over. Her head gets cut off. You're like, oh, okay, we're cool. No, now we got to to bury the body. So the tension builds again as he goes to bury the body. And this hot blonde bitch neighbor is in the pool. And she's coming Aww. over. While he has a big plastic garbage bag full of this witch's body. And her arm is sticking out trying to grab him. And he's like... Wiggling. <laughs> And he's trying to and and oh god, give it to to William Cat. What an amazing job of trying to keep a conversation going while you're completely distracted. Hi. What are you digging? Hole. Oh. A big hole. Oh, I can see that. What's under the plastic? A sapling. A sapling. Yes, it's a an apricot tree. Oh. I used to come and swim here when your aunt lived here. I hope you don't think I'm imposing or anything. Oh, no. Not at all. <laughs> My name is Tanya. Hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. I'm, uh... Roger. Hi. <laughs> here with your wife? Wife? No. I'm divorced. Oh, really? Shame. You must be lonely. Uh, well... Well, I appreciate the company, Tanya, but, you know, I'm kind of busy right now. Oh, no, don't be silly. I understand. I can tell when a man wants to work. I can also tell when a man wants to play. (laughs) We should get together soon. Absolutely. Neighbors shouldn't be strangers. I couldn't agree more any other time, all right? All right, that's okay. Bye. I'll see you later, okay? Okay. (gasps) Oh, um, Roger... If you need anything at all, just call, okay? <laughs> all right. Bye. Bye. Again, though, this is like another one of those situations that he's in where it's like any second he's going to get found out or, you know, not that he's doing anything wrong, but it looks that way. And uh, it's just, again... The tension is so good because you're just like, ah, damn it. It's like he can't catch a damn break, you know. Can we just have five minutes where somebody doesn't bust in on everything he's doing? Especially this chick. I can't stand her. I really can't stand her. And what the hell kind of mother just leaves their kid with a stranger anyway? But in this day and age, it wouldn't happen. Yeah, then like uh, then your favorite part comes in where you know they're playing that music you like that uh, Mo's uh, the Motown music, 
which is it's weird. It's so fitting for this movie. Like normally, I would hate something like that, but I don't know. It works for this movie. This is dedicated to the one I That song gets stuck in my head so long after the movie is over, but and I'll just sing the song just for days. But I just, but I love the song. I've always loved the song, so that's fine. It doesn't bother me. It's just I don't know. I think that's a fun. Isn't it too? Because it's like once you done know my baby. Oh, that's right. Yeah, and I love that song too. And I'll actually sing because they only play a snippet in the movie, and I'll keep singing the song. Like, and Brian's every time we've watched it together, he's like looking at me like, we like, will you stop? And I'm like, no, once I start singing that song, I can't, can't I have to finish it. Like, <laughs> and he's like, oh, they're so similar, but they're so perfect for this. It's really weird. But like you said, yeah, we'll elaborate more on the mom night four. the mom drops the kid off after this guy's done burying this witch in his yard. Um, by the way, which was Kane Hodder when he is smashing I that? I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh no, not the whole time. It was a different person playing. It was a guy playing um, the witch when it was moving around and fighting with him. But when it's in that bag, for some reason, Kane Hodder agreed to do that scene and let the guy hit him with the sh- like he had a motorcycle helmet on and everything. And would do the arm movements and stuff, and the guy would hit him with the shovel, William Cat, and uh, he he's really in there when he's hitting him for some reason. Um, so yeah, just know that next time you watch it. So the kid with the worst haircut on record uh, shows up at the house, which I don't even know what is going on with this kid's hair. Uh, it is bizarre. It's like a mullet with a helmet head top and. Like this punky hair flying, every like, you remember I said it looked like somebody rubbed a balloon on the kid's head. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> like holy crap! So the goblin monsters that are in the house grab this kid and pulls him up the chimney. How do you think you would explain that to somebody if you were babysitting their kid and their kid disappeared? <laughs> oh my god. I can't believe he even agreed to do it knowing what the hell's been going on in that house. Mm. I would have just said, nope, got to get out of here. Like, I can't do that. I know she kind of handed him off and she didn't really give him a choice, but I would have handed him right back off. Because what are you thinking? Like, how do you, at the very least, that kid could see something and then say something. You know, if if something didn't happen to him, he could run his mouth. Well, even before she drops him off, the the witch's hand is grabbing the back of the kid's head or his neck or something and digging into him and the kid's crying. I I never would have allowed that. But then how do you explain? I mean, you don't. It's what did I see? Oh, I just watched this movie. By the way, if you haven't watched it, I recommend it. It's really fun. It's uh, called Uncaged and it's the newest Dick Moss movie. Who is the guy who made the lift? Uh, Amsterdam. Oh, that sense, that evil Santa movie years ago in like 2013. But anyway, 
I love this guy. He's a Dutch filmmaker. And um, <laughs> he made this movie called Uncaged that is all about this giant lion, basically an, tearing the asshole right out of Amsterdam. Like, it's just just murdering people left and right. Right. And there's a scene where there's, a, like, a, a babysitter in the daytime, and the, the mother calls and says, hey, just make sure you don't let the kids go outside because, you know, this lion's running around. She's like, oh, no, no, they're fine. But, of course, being a babysitter, she's not doing shit. She's, like, in the living room. She's, like, playing in the rooms. But after she gets off the phone, she decides to go check on them. And, of course, the bedroom window is open and the kids are gone. <laughs> and uh, they go to this playground. By the time the babysitter gets to the playground... One of those kids is fucking lunch. I mean, it just wow. mutilated it. And the other kid survives. But then you're like, what the hell are you going to say? Like, yeah, I don't think she's like, I am so fired. Like, but beyond that, <laughs> you're probably going to get prosecuted for right. like, neglect or something. You know, like that is an awful situation. I was just thinking about when I was a nanny, the little girl that I, Savannah, that I would take care of, she fell down and outside and she had a like a little stick scratch her cheek and i was like oh my god what am i gonna do oh, like <laughs> it was horrible it was horrible and then she was two so she didn't know what the hell she's saying but she was i mean she just was talking but she's two and she's like dog bite and i'm like what are you talking about it's not a dog bite but then her mom's like a dog bit her on the face and i'm like no there was no dog <laughs> <laughs> Like, wow. oh, it was the worst situation ever. So I can only imagine what's going through his, his Oh, my mind. God. Yeah, when he bites the hand and he spits into the toilet bowl and flushes oh. it. The only mo way more this would have been like an evil dead is if it gave the finger on its way down, you know? <laughs> yes. I'm that actually kind of surprised it didn't. Right. And it was so big and fat and meaty. It was like the weird and purple. It was like the weirdest thing ever. So then... We get to the sequence where the monster in the closet with Harold this time, you know, he, uh, he says it's a raccoon or whatever he says and, you know, to come to help me and blah, blah. So he, he opens the door. It's the beast. Harold shoots it and Roger Cobb is just like smacking it with like a, a fireplace, you know, poker or whatever. Uh, like that was not good planning for a guy who knew what was going to be there. So as he does this, the monster leaves, and there's a rope, and it pulls it pulls Roger into the door, and where it ends up bringing him is into is into the same area as all his flashback dreams, which was Vietnam. What's fascinating about this whole moment is that Ben, you know, we saw him get shot, right, Big Ben. So when he pulls him into this in right now's reality, remember Vietnam was years ago. In right now's reality, he's there, bends on the ground, and he says, Kill me, Raj, kill me. Fish me off, Raj. Angle me. Fish me off. I'm dying, Raj. Kill me. Fish me off. Oh. I can't do it. I can't do it, man. 
I'm a hush. Man, I'm going to go get help. Man, I'm going to go get help. Get the truck back for you. And that's when he makes this decision, and he doesn't. And then you see Big Ben getting taken by the Vietnamese. And he's like, I'll get you for this, Roger. You know? and all this stuff and then Roger starts getting shot at and he jumps through the where the door was and he jumps back into that bedroom and he turns and it's just the wall and that's amazing and and adds to the whole you know they say how can a monster be in your closet and it's because it's a different dimensional thing is Roger just reliving an actual memory when he got pulled in and he really got pulled in Harold saw it, and Harold drank that bottle of JD because of it. So, what was really happening in there? Was Roger just reliving what really happened, and he had no chance of changing that? Because he must have saw Big Ben get pulled off by the Vietnamese when he originally initially did it, when he was in Vietnam. So, would he do the same choice again, knowing that? Like, was he just there to relive it and not change anything? I... Yeah, I mean, I don't think he could have changed anything. I think it was, I think it was more like a punishment. He, I'm sure he's been reliving this in his head, right? Ever since, you know, just over and over and over again. He probably, you know, has been having nightmares about it. I mean, we know he has PTSD, right? I'm sure this has been something that's been in his head forever. But this actual physical representation of it. One, well, we know that shit's not right about the house, you know, <laughs> like this, this place isn't right. And I think that it's preying on his guilt, on everything that's been haunting him, um, kind of like, um, well, kind of like in Ghostbusters when they conjure up your, you know, the thing you're most afraid of. Right. Uh, I think it it is using that. And if it had, like, say, for instance, he hadn't been in Vietnam, but say he had, you know, accidentally hit somebody with his car when he was a teenager or something, mm. it, it would have been that. You know, I think it's using the worst possible thing that has ever happened to him, apart from his whole son thing, because um, it uses that, too. It's all related. His son is missing because of what he did. And, and that's another thing. A lot of people like to say that, well, none of this actually happened. This was all in his mind because of the PTSD. And this is all, you know, hallucinations of, of Roger. But I think the one thing that kind of de- debunks that theory is that if none of this was real and it was all in Roger's head and he really is just Looney Tunes, like the guy said, um then why does his aunt have all these paintings of everything that she experienced? She had pictures of those those tools in the shed floating and cutting into a woman's body. The picture of 
grandfather clock at 12 o'clock, another clock at 12 o'clock. She had a picture of the, the little boy in the cabinet mirror. Um, and one really striking thing that's very um, disturbing, if you really look into it, is... Remember that picture that, you know, I'm referring to and the woman is opening the closet door that that monster's in and she's just looking into it and the light is kind of going on her? Yeah, yeah. You did notice that there's a mirror in that picture, like a long mirror, and it's kind of tilted at a 45 degree angle? Yeah. The aunt's reflection is in there too? Mm-hmm. But it's not the reflection of what it would be had that mirror been in that position. It's the same view that you're looking at her looking into the closet. It's her back. That's right. That is like kind of like, it's like, oh, that's weird. You know, like that is just another great little nuance. Like oh, so much detail here. Yeah. I will say I do. Uh, honestly, this is an example of how talking about a movie, like legitimately talking. about, And I've actually reviewed this movie before, but it's always been. You know, kind of ah, blah 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 blah. I mean, you remember our old Devour re- reviews that were like twenty minutes? <laughs> yeah, remember that? Remember I got in trouble for saying that? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Well, you used to make fun of us for it, but you're not wrong. You know, because it was just a very <laughs> surface level thing. Um, I mean, we had fun with it, and that's really all we were trying to do. But if, um, but you really don't get into things very deep when you're doing it that way. And this is probably the most in-depth I've even talked about this film. Even with Brian, we've never really talked about it. So I feel like there is a possibility for people who want to hang on to the fact that this this is all in his head. They could say that the aunt is just an unrelated clairvoyant. Like she is she's not experiencing the same things he is, but she is predicting what he's going to experience. I don't think so though. Because I mean, Harold saw this, some of this stuff too, you know, it's not, and the son is really, the kid is really gone. It's really missing. Right. You know, it's, it's not like he hit him somewhere in the house. And even if you go to the end of it, Roger pulls the grenade from Ben and stuffs it in Ben blows mm-hmm. him up and the whole house burns down. How would that have happened if that wasn't, if he wasn't really there? Why is the That's house true. burning down, right? That's true. I totally believe this is all really happening. Absolutely. I do, too. I do too. Honestly, I've never really, I have never questioned. considered, no, I have not even once have I questioned that it wasn't happening. I did question, I mean, I did always assume that it was actually Ben, but hell, I don't know. Maybe, like I said, maybe it's not. Maybe it's just a manifestation of his guilt. Either way, hmm. it's still really happening. Like whatever the we're at, whatever it is, and wherever it comes from, it is still happening to him. So that I've never doubted. So Roger at this point realizes about the mom's uh, painting, and basically that painting tells him to look into the medicine cabinet. You know, um, he sees the sun's reflection is the sun from the inside trying to look out of the mirror, which is also really creepy. So you figure, well. Is my kid in here? That's weird. Okay. And he he opens it. There's just like, well, there's nothing here. But then he kind of remembers, you know, the closet and how he jumped through that. And it was another world. Then when he turned around, it was the wall. So he took a gamble and, like, bashed out the mirror in the medicine cabinet. And it's black. And he could put his hand through it. And it doesn't touch anything. And I love how he... He did another thing that grounds the movie. He opened the window in the bathroom and touched the back 
like the side of the house that the other side of the mirror would be, and it's solid. There's not. It's just a regular thing. But when you go from the front where he smashed the mirror out, you can keep going. Like that is one of those great touches. Having him go and feel around the back and see that there's really nothing there, because it just adds layers of dimension. The fact that it's haunted and it is unexplainable. Nothing about this is logical, is what it's basically telling you, and it is supernatural. That verification just proves it. He lowers the rope, you know, he used to be in Vietnam, of course, so he kind of knows how to do all this stuff. He lowers the rope, lowers himself down, he has to get into there to find his son. Then you get this amazing skull with wings, it's like a skull bat. And it grabs the gun from him, and then it comes back. It twirls the big gigantic shotgun and blows it. It, it blows his uh, his rope in half, and he falls into the water. And as he keeps going, he finds his son. He actually finds Jimmy, and he's in a tiger box, just like they did to the people, like the prisoners of war. Everything comes to get together beautifully as we realize. That Ben is the one who took Jimmy as revenge for Roger not killing him and subjecting him to weeks of torture. Like, this all culminates into just greatness. How every... This is like a movie where so many things are happening and it all ties together so nice. It's so well written and fluid and perfect that way. You know, you get the gunshots and he goes and it again ties back... He goes into the water that is at the bottom of the thing with the medicine cabinet. And as he swims down with his son, he goes back up to the surface after hiding from the bullets from Ben. He comes up in the swimming pool his son disappeared in. You know, you forgot about that pool at this point. And it, it just ties in. It's like, wow. Okay. This works. Yeah. Okay. And you think everything's good. And then Roger opens the door, and there's Big Ben. Sucker! Big Ben. No, it's your fairy godmother. You... (laughs) You did this. You took my kid. Why didn't you kill me, Roger? Didn't you have the guts to do it? I had to get help. You tortured me for weeks. I would have died for you, Ben. Well, now's your chance. No! Jimmy, I want you to get out of the house. Get help. I'll keep him here. Now go on, hurry up. And you get this whole entire confrontation that I'm not going to, you know, great exchanges between the two of them, though, dialogue-wise. Great battle. You get the hanging over the cliff like we talked about. You think he killed Ben. He throws a belt over his wrist, pulls him down. Ben falls like 500 feet, smashes into rocks. You see his head fall off when he hits the rocks into the ocean. And then he goes back in the house, and there's Ben again with his son, because he told his son to hide at that point. And Ben is holding his son again. And and he realizes he cannot kill him physically. By the way, Ben looks like Jason from Friday the 13th Part 7, by the way, right? Oh, wow, yes. (laughs) How close is that, right? That is actually 
that's also something else I never really considered, but everything looks very similar. The clothes. Yeah. Like the tatteredness. The the bones showing through. Yeah. Yep. And uh, this is this predates Friday 7. So, basically, you find out that Roger had to overcome Ben mentally, not physically. Think you're funny, Roger? A few years ago, you had a chance to kill me. Now I'm gonna kill your little boy unless you kill yourself. No! Daddy! It's finally over, Roger. You've got no chance. Afraid of you anymore, Ben. I beat you! And this goddamn house! Don't make me mad! I. What? I'm warning you, I'll slit his throat! You can't hurt me. Or my son. You know what you mean? I'm warning you! No! So long, sucker! Roger, no! No! I'll get you for this! And he no longer fears him. His cuts, his hits don't do anything to Roger. He takes his son, takes a grenade off of Ben, pulls out the pin, shoves it up into his ribs and guts, closes the door, and you see an amazing explosion of Ben as the ghost, the, the zombie Ben. It looks beautiful as he explodes. Unfortunately, the whole house goes in flames because of it. And he comes out of the front door. He could care less. He has his son back. That is all that means anything. If you remember what he was going through this whole movie. His uh, estranged wife pulls up at that moment in a cab. And the family is reunited. And no one cares about anything except that Jimmy is back. That is the end of the movie. Like, God. (laughs) So, what is your overall assessment and rating of... House, 1986. Yeah, I, you know, listening to it, listening to you talk about it and, and break it down a certain way actually got me back up a little bit because, yeah, I was I was going to come down a little bit lower than I did the last time on Banana Leisure when I gave it a grade way back when, but thinking about it and everything, and I just, let me just say <laughs> before I go that his wife, ex-wife, is just, as much as I dislike the new girl, the the girl that you know, the babysitter who is a piece of trash for doing everything she does, I I, I love his ex-wife and I think she is ridiculously hot. She reminds me of somebody else at that same time, and it, it, every time I watch it, it bugs me because I look her up and I think that it's her, and I'm like, no, it's not her. She's not in anything else that I saw that I could think, but she has like almost a twin, and it, it drives me nuts. But anyway, I love her. I think she's beautiful. I like her performance, and it. I have a lot of fun uh, the with mom the mom from uh, the mom from the stepfather, or is that actually the same actress? I don't know. It's not her though. But no. she, yeah, okay. Well, I w- I always think unless it's the same one, I actually think they might be the same actress. I don't know. <laughs> I love yeah. her her deliberate bad acting when she's doing the soap opera on the TV shows that he's watching. I didn't. Oh, you mean she's doing this the soap opera acting? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, Dave. So was your rating? So, 
Initially, uh, the first time I saw it, when we did it on Bananalyze, I said it was like a four out of five. And then last night watching it, I come down a little bit. I was going to say three and a half. But this discussion and hearing more and more with your insight actually has gotten me to appreciate it again. And I'm back up to a four. So four out of five. Nice, man. Great. Yeah. Wow. I'm glad you found a new a new love for it again. Yeah, good stuff, definitely. And I will watch it again on a Sunday morning, of course. But <laughs> yeah, perfect. Afternoon. Yeah, Sunday at like one o'clock, something like that. It seems like it, like we're, we're, if it's during football season, it, it, not no, but when football season <laughs> ends, maybe like in uh, I don't know, maybe next um, March or something on a Sunday afternoon, it feels like it, it would fit right in. Perfect. So, yep. <laughs> so there you go. Well, I'm going to tell you this. Earlier today, you called me while I was at Home Depot. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we just briefly chatted. And you were like, do you love the movie? You know, you like the movie, don't you? And I was like, I like it. You know, I don't love it. Uh, and I believe I told you then it was like a 3.5. Yeah. After this discussion, it has gone down. No, I'm kidding. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> it is, no, it is... After this discussion, it has gone up actually significantly. I am now at a 4.5. Really? Yes. Holy carp. You did it. Wow. You changed You changed my mind. And honestly, if I'm being totally honest, that 3.5 was me being generous because I didn't want to hurt your feelings because I know you <laughs> love this movie. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I didn't want our last show of the season <laughs> to be a downer. Um, so it has it has come up even more significantly than that because it was, yeah, it was lower than that. I mean, it was probably like a three, you know. Three. So a point and a half. Wow. But you, you actually changed my mind about House and no one has been able to do that in, uh, what, 25, 30, 30, 35. I don't know. Long fucking time. Uh, 86. <laughs> long, yeah. 34 years. Yep. 34 years. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I Now, I even while I was watching it for this, I didn't enjoy it that much. But just <laughs> talking about it totally just changed everything. It was the house. It was the house that did it. Right, Mrs. Hooper. We understand. Telling you, Roger. It was the house. Will you shut up? Will you shut up just for once, you old bat? Touchy. <laughs> That's happened to me, man. And isn't it such a great feeling? Because maybe things were hidden beneath the folds that you just didn't think to to lift and peek through. And when you interact with somebody who took a different kind of interest in, in the same thing. And then they did <laughs> like, and you gotta remember, I don't consciously do that. Like, I don't think about, well, I'm going to think more because I like it or anything. I think it's just something that like, it occurs to you or maybe like you, you love it. And then as you rewatch it, you're like, yeah, that's what I love about it. Things like this. You know, and and it just keeps jumping out at you with every watch. And absolutely, um, as a a horror movie reviewer podcaster, yeah, then then you you maybe vocalize those things that maybe have just been occurring to you. And then that is when, you know, it, it 
culminates into whatever it becomes in a podcast. Obviously, I love this movie, and I've said weird things like we've given our top ten shows and stuff like that on Skeleton Crew, and and House has always land. I think even top five we did. This movie lands in it. I think one of the reasons it does is because this movie made me fall in love with horror. It transitioned a major part of my life. I am a different person because of this movie. I'm doing what I'm doing right now and what I did for eight years because of this movie. Uh, I don't think that if I, I didn't, I think if I didn't have this to trigger that thing in me to realize that I love this stuff. This is, what, what is this? I don't know if I'd really keep going or live out of my passion in any way. I just might. Well, we all have those, you know, um, and I get it. You know, for me, it's Salem's Lot. I, if I hadn't watched Salem's Lot when I was five years old, when it aired on television, I wouldn't be the horror fan I am today. It just, it had such an indelible impression upon me that I then, and I was terrified. I mean, terrified, but I liked it and I wanted to keep finding it. And so that's what did, you know, plus my mom was a horror fan, but She's the reason that I was watching that. If my mom had chosen to watch something else on Sunday night that night, or, you know, or not watch that miniseries at all, then I would, I never would have been exposed to it. Because at, you know, five, you don't really get to choose what's on TV. Right. Like, even if someone says, well, yeah, but if you like it, I think um, if it wasn't that movie, it would have been another one. And it's like, well, yeah, but it was this movie. Yeah. I mean, and it's possible it would have, but honestly, if my mother hadn't been the horror fan she was, if I had grown up on, like, Disney movies and <laughs> stuff like that, I, I probably would be a very different person. But that horror molded my entire being. I I am who I am completely because of growing up with horror all around me, and I wouldn't change that for one second, like, not even a little bit. So Right. I mean, I guess it's possible I eventually would have found it because maybe that's just in my personality, but I, I don't know. I can't say because it didn't happen, you know? <laughs> that too, and it doesn't take away from the one that did it. No, 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 no. As a matter of fact, that is a cherished memory of mine, you know, even though, I, like I said, I was terrified and I actually slept with my neck covered until I was 12 years old. And um, to this day, if anybody scratches on a window, I'm going to freak out. <laughs> <laughs> You say, for instance, you hadn't watched this movie, but you'd watch something else, and then it then it did, you know, make you love horror as well. Like maybe it, uh, you know, you 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 were watching a Friday the Thirteenth or a Universal, or because you would have been doing those anyway, I think, because your dad, right? Uh, he got me into those at fourteen, which would be like five to six years after I got into House. Okay, so eventually, you know, you probably would have come to horror through that route, but. This is a cherished memory for you, and it happened at a much earlier age, so that makes it that much cooler. Yeah, because you're way more impressionable, and I'm glad it was House, because I don't feel any different today. Like, it would be a shame, because there are movies that definitely had a huge impact, and then when I went to rewatch them, I was like, ooh, well, thanks for doing what you did, but I'm I'm, I'm good. <laughs> you know what's <laughs> funny about me is if I have an emotional tie to something, 
I will just love it. I don't care. And it will always have a special place for that reason alone. If even if it's not good, you know, even if it doesn't hold up, it's just I will always cherish it. So and maybe I'm too sentimental about stuff like that. I know that I don't think most people tend to be to the level that like say you and I are. Yeah, I don't think they are either, mostly. But um and I'm not saying no one is. I know a lot of people out there are, but I also know a lot of people who who are not. You know, they're just like whatever. People who listen to our show probably are. Otherwise I don't think they'd be here listening to these things. Yeah, I think they kind of feel the same way we do. Right. So I think that's why this all works out. Like, you know, we connect with the listeners who have been listening for eight years for the ones who just got into it and really dig it or whatever. I think as long as they're here and they make it through the ends of these shows and stuff, I think that shows that it's because they do, they're on the same wavelength as us. And, they, and we, we, these movies and shows tap into all of us the same way. And that's why we're passionate enough to do a podcast or listen to one. And um, that's why I think when we say things like we don't think most people are this or that, we're generally not talking about you listening. We're talking about everyone in our daily lives who we don't see be very passionate about most anything. So that's that. <laughs> so, guys, we hope you enjoyed the Skeleton Crew 2020 Halloween specials. Eight great shows, we hope. <laughs> they were great. Um but if anything, there were just eight shows regardless. And big finale with House. It's been a crazy year uh, for a lot of reasons. Um, you know, the obvious and things that got on on our shows and uh, things like that. We don't really know the future of anything, you know, I started off this whole thing by calling it the farewell tour, and I don't want to be like the Rolling Stones who have like six farewell tours. So, <clears throat> you know, we had the first one, which was we're stopping at a hundred. <laughs> you know, we felt like we just got cooking then, um, and the show had a transition, so we wanted to keep going. Then, you know, it kept going when um, we had another transition, and we had new life again, and then. It was like, well, even though we have that new life, we definitely, it's time to wrap it up. Because, you know, we we're all going to do other things at that point. Married with children, and Jamie was deep into ABCs, and, you know, everything else. So, um, then we did the once-a-year shows. <clears throat> and then, we are going to do a big thing this year that didn't work out. And uh, so, we got to do at least what we did. You know, we talked about definitely being the end, for a couple reasons. Then, we talked more and said, you know, maybe it's something that should not be taken too seriously and make these proclamations. Because if you ever want to get together and do something, I mean, why make a joke out of, you know, constantly saying it's your last show? Well, we inevitably get the itch. Well, yeah, we find that we inevitably do. Inevitably. <laughs> We're not calling it the farewell, after all. Um, we don't know what the lineups will be or anything like that. We just know that uh, it'll be skeleton crew in one way or another, whether we have extra guests, not a, not a full cast, or whatever the case may be. Uh, it will be skeleton crew because we are crew for life, and and the crew is family. Crew's family. Hope you enjoyed, and uh, we'll see you 
at some point, uh, hopefully in the near future. Happy Halloween and eat a bowl of fuck. <laughs> I am here to partake. <laughs> Happy Halloween, everybody. Keep it spooky. Yeah, y'all. Yeah.